Hello everybody and welcome to the Glow Glow Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kelly Quinn, and joining me today is Cal McFadden from Football CFB and a man you will also know as the co-host of the Beyond the Pitch My Night podcast. Welcome to the show, Callum. Delighted to be back, Kyle, and delighted that we're able to discuss a, a Manchester United victory. Um, two Manchester United victories this week, which it seems like a long time since we've been able to say that. Yeah, um, for 93 minutes yesterday, I was fearing that we're going to be discussing a drab 0-0, um, but there's no better feeling than scoring so late on, basically the last kick of the game. It was like the the, the Fergie days of old, um, the way we won that game, and absolutely delighted for two friends of mine who who travelled from Ireland to the game, and obviously cost a lot of money you know, to travel from Ireland over to Manchester in terms of flights and hotels and the match ticket, so... Um, it seemed like the, 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 they had chosen the wrong game. But, yeah, that last-minute winner just made it all worth it, didn't it? It certainly did. And there's no better feeling than, than a last-minute winner. I mean, as you say, it could be the most drab 0-0 game uh, in the history of football. But if you score in the last minute and it's your team that gets it, then you'll leave the stadium thinking it's the best game you've been to for a long time. It's it's quite funny how it works. But, no, I'm delighted um, Obviously, for, for your friends who travelled over there and everyone that was in the stadium, it was it was great watching it at home. But to be in the stadium and see the emotions, um, obviously in person, would have been incredible too. Yeah, and I've seen some footage from the West Ham fan channels and stuff, and they're they're adamant that it was offside. But I'm afraid it wasn't. Uh, the only part of his body that was offside, uh, Cavani, that is, was his hand, and you can't score with your hand. And and I think that's the rule. If a part of your body is offside that you can't score with, then it's still a goal, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, and I think in an era of um, VAR, for instance, you, you saw the, the image at the end of the game where David Moyes was incensed. And I can understand why he was, because his team obviously have conceded very late on and, and they definitely um, probably earned a point, let's be brutally honest about it. But with VAR, it's been checked. And, and at the end of the day, I don't really think there are too many arguments you can have um, I was saying to my partner this morning, if it was maybe five years ago and there was no uh, VAR, um, then then maybe David Moyes could have made a big play of it, these post-match press conference, etc. But in a world where everything gets checked and they draw the lines as they do, I don't really think there is much arguing, to be honest. No, definitely not for me. It was just kind of sour grapes and David Moyes is known for being complaining in post-match interviews, a bit like Dean Smith. Um, always trying to blame officials when things don't go as well. But yeah, they were full value for a point West Ham. You know, I was disappointed with their, their tactics. If David Moyes does this against United quite a lot. You know, United are in seventh position or at the start of the game and West Ham were in the top four. Why should West Ham come to Old Trafford and basically park the bus and play a low block? Because they're capable of scoring goals against my United. So I don't understand why Moyes has been so negative. If they, if they had it opened up from the start and and tried to get at us, they, they could they could have beaten us quite easily because uh, we're not we're not playing the best football at the moment as everyone knows. And and West Ham have had a tremendous season. We've seen them beat um, Chelsea and Liverpool at home. So I don't understand why he, he gives us so much respect, David Moyes. Do you? No, I think that's a very fair point. When you look at David Moyes' his record as a manager, obviously Everton. Uh, of course, United, and, and particularly um, now even with West Ham, I'll kind of write off the Sunderland season because 
I, I think he, any medical worker would have struggled um, with that squad, to be honest with you. But if you look at his main three jobs that he's probably most known for, um, his record against so-called top four or elite uh, football sides away from home is very poor. His record at Everton was very good at Goodison. He'd beaten most teams at Goodison. Um, I remember Jack Rodwell scoring against United many years ago when, when, they, when, when they went on to win. And he was always capable of setting his team up at, at Goodison and even, I suppose, now at the London Stadium to really get in your face, make it uncomfortable, get the crowd behind him. But you've hit the nail on the head there, Kyle. When he goes away from home, so often he, he's very negative and he worries about the opposition rather than focusing on his own side. I mean, look at the team he's got. He's got Jared Bowen, who's a player who is in fine form, linked with teams like Liverpool, linked with England squad. Uh, you've got Mikel Antonio, who's been one of the, the best strikers in the league for the last couple of seasons. Um, Declan Rice, of course, a player that's highly sought after from United and many other clubs. And obviously sending guys like Kurt Zuma in the summer for around £30 million. Pounds, you know, it's, it's not like he's turning up to Old Trafford uh, as he was maybe at times with Everton where he had a really reduced budget and he was scrapping about for guys like Tim Cahill for under a million pounds and Phil Neville on, on nominal fees. He's, he's arriving uh, at Old Trafford with a team that he's built for substantial amounts of money and he's got players that can do damage. So I totally agree with you. I think they could have came to Old Trafford yesterday and, and won should they have been more adventurous. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure many West Ham fans will be having the same complaint. Um, you mentioned Declan Rice there. I thought he was tremendous yesterday. He, he was my man of the match. Um, the, the good players always make time for themselves. Um, the average players are always in a rush, and he's one of those players who slows down the game, You know, plays it at his pace. Um, you know, he's always, always looks calm and composed on the ball. He reminded me, like, Claude McAlelly, you know, He's fantastic without the ball, and he's really. I didn't realize how good he was with the ball. So, yeah, it just reiterates my stance that we need to, to buy this guy if we possibly can, um, no matter what the fee is. Uh, so, how, what was your thoughts on Declan Rice yesterday? I thought Declan Rice was fantastic yesterday, and, and I have to give you credit. The last time I was on this show, um, you asked me about Declan Rice. It was at the very start of the season, and I said, not entirely convinced yet. I know he had a strong Euros, but I don't know if I'd be going and paying big bucks for him at this stage. Well, you were right, Kyle, and, and I was certainly hesitant and differing. Um, I think United should be going after Declan Rice. Unfortunately, I think a whole host of clubs will be going after him. And I do think he will leave West Ham in the summer unless they get Champions League football, which is going to be a battle for, for them, for United, Arsenal, Tottenham and, and the other teams that are in the mix there. So... I, I was impressed yesterday, as you say, the way he can break up play, but also the way that he can control the ball. And, and you've hit the nail on the head with the, uh, with the summary that he plays the game at his own pace. He certainly does. When he needs to go fast and, and, and he needs to take the ball past players, he can do it. He can be a ball carrier. When he needs to slow it down and just reduce the tempo and carry his side down, he can do that as well. And, and I think it's safe to say he is a leader. I mean, we talk about leaders a lot in the modern game and the fact that they're lacking at so many top clubs, but Declan Rice certainly is a leader. You can tell he's a big personality in that West Ham uh, dressing room. I thought he spoke particularly well after the game. He was, you could say, flirting with the idea of going to Manchester United on a permanent basis at some point in his career, saying he always loves playing at Old Trafford and it's a very special ground to play your football at. So if the, the powers that be, Richard Arnold, John Murta, Darren Fletcher, uh, Ralph Rangnick, of course, um, whoever's been listening to that post-match interview, um, should be bumping him up the shortlist by a couple of positions because he's certainly got the ability, the temperament, the talent to 
to, to merit joining United and adding to the team in a position that, let's be honest, we badly need strengthening. Yeah, massively. Um, he, he's he's going to cost upwards of 100 million, it sounds like, and, and that's an insane amount of money. But if we could just make one signing this coming summer, then he would be the man that I would pick because not only because of his quality, because we were so desperate for leaders and, and so desperate for a holding midfielder. Uh, the only specialist we really have in that position is Maddich, and I mean, he's long past his peak now and, and probably won't be at the club beyond the summer. Um, in terms of United starting 11, not many really had great games, to be honest. I thought Varane was very good. Um, De Gea wasn't as busy as he normally is, thankfully. But the rest of them were fairly average at best. Um, the substitutions were probably our best players. Um, so who, who stood out for you yesterday then, Callum? One player I have to comment on is Harry Maguire. Um, Phil and I on Beyond the Pitch have given him a lot of stick. Um, over the last eight or nine weeks and, and I would say rightly so given the way he's conducted himself in interviews the Cup in the Years in the England match I think he'd answered critics but to be fair to Harry Maguire I thought he was composed yesterday and he looked determined yesterday to try and get back to some of his best football now there will be bigger tests for Harry Maguire coming up um, and it's important that he can try and do this again on a consistent basis however yesterday was the first time in a long time I looked at Harry Maguire on the park and thought, you know, you, you, you've shown some real character there. You've put in a performance that I would expect you to put in for Manchester United. And, and that's the biggest compliment I can give him because, as I say, I've been very critical of him. Um, and I would be shy in being critical of him again if I, I don't think his performances are up to scratch because he costs a lot of money and he's the captain of the club. But, as I say, I think he was good yesterday. I agree with you on Varane. Um, he was good. The passion he showed at the goal at the end, like the old did, I suppose, was great. Um, but you're right, the substitution certainly changed the game. Uh, Cavani, of course, gets a lot of plaudits, but I think it's right that Martial, uh, another player I've been critical of um, for, for a long time because for me he's not consistent at all. He's five five games best player in the world form, 15 games average beyond belief. And those five games that he had when he was a world beater kind of convinced you into giving him another six months, another year. Um, that's always been my critic, uh, critical um, comment on him, but I thought yesterday he was very composed when he had to be. He, of course, starts the, the move by getting the ball. Ronaldo starts it, sorry. Martial gets it to Cavani and then the rest is history, as they say. So I think Martial and Cavani deserve a, an awful lot of credit, um, as does Rashford, of course, for, for finishing it off. But um, as I say, I think Maguire and Martial are two players I want to mention uh, specifically first, because, as I say, I've, I've been very critical of them and they've not produced, so I think it's only fair that when they do produce that, I point that out. So I would certainly say those two is, is two players I want to single out for, for having a positive impact on the game. Yeah, uh, probably Maguire's best performance of the season so far. Not that that would be too hard, um, but he would need to perform like that 10 games in a row before the fans would trust him again, to be honest. Uh, and Martial, I was a bit concerned with about him coming on because I wasn't sure about his frame of mind because we know he wants to leave the club, but... He did show you know, hunger and desire when he came on, you know, total opposite to the way before when he came on against Watford when we lost 4 1. I think he gave the ball away for one of the goals. Um, yeah, but he, he definitely contributed to the, I mean, all three substitutes contributed to the goal and, and they all had an impact even before that. So, yeah, it was pleasing, you know, to see the substitutes, you know, have just an impact. Um, Rashford, obviously, probably more than the rest of them. Um, yeah. 
Maguire, yeah, improved performance for Ron. He's a class act. But yeah, there's been a lot of praise for Diogo Dallo in the last few games now. Personally, he hasn't really impressed me. Um, but there seems to be a, a lot of people who like him now. Um, I, I still think he's a bit ropey defensively. Um, going forward, he can be hit and miss. He's nowhere near the level of the likes of Reese James and Trent Alexander-Arnold and Cancelo and people like that. I just don't think, whilst he's a better option than Wambasaka on current form, you know, because he, he does offer something going forward, I think, you know, long-term, you probably need to sign a more all, all-rounded fullback uh, at the right-hand side of the pitch. Um, Luke, out of the four out of the four fullbacks that we have, I think Luke Shaw is probably the best. Um, but again, he has some defensive deficiencies as well. So, how do you feel about the fullback situation at United, Callum? I I actually um, I agree with you in the sense I think Shaw is probably the strongest of the four. I think you're, you're fair on Dallow as well. I think he's definitely performed better than than Juan Bissaka. But again, without being too disrespectful, I, I don't think Juan Bissaka set a particularly high bar at all uh, in his performances this season. I mean, you could argue. Over the piece at United, he's actually went backwards. I mean, when he came in, he was a player that I was excited to watch develop. Um, he clearly um, showed excellent signs of uh, the defensive elements of the game. On the ball, very, very nervous. Um, but you thought over the over a season, over two, over three, gradually, week on week, month on month, that would improve to the point that by now you'd be expecting his defensive game to be as solid as it always was, but he'd be far more comfortable on the ball. We just haven't seen that. As I say, arguably you can see he's went backwards in that regard. So I think Dallow, you'll find, will be getting a lot of credit because he just instills more confidence in you at this moment than, than one Bissaka does. And I pointed this out again um, on Beyond the Pitch a few weeks ago when, when United come up against teams like Wolves that they put three centre-halves across the back. Um, they obviously are looking at their wing-backs to get forward. And when United are playing, playing the 4 triple 2 your, your full-backs really have to be sturdy and strong on the ball. And as we know, Wan-Bissaka isn't particularly any of those on the ball. So I think he was exposed time after time in the 4 triple 2 system. So I think it's important um, that United offer him a bit more protection when he's in the team. But I think Dallow definitely has been a, an improvement on him. But you're spot on. He's, if you think Dallow's going to take you to a title or a Champions League long term and, and improve the team consistently, then, then I don't think so. However, I think it is important to have good squad members. Dallow can play right back or left back. So I, I certainly think there's a place at Manchester United for him. I just don't think it'll be in the start of eleven. Um, and obviously we don't know how they're going to solve the, the, the Wan-Bissaka conundrum. Um, but as I say, in terms of the fullbacks, I would agree with you. Shaw would be the strongest. Um, Tellez I do like, but I always feel that I expect more from him um, compared to what he actually delivers. Um, albeit I think he's probably the best crosser of the ball out of the, out of the four of them. Um, and as I say, Dallow for me, is a, improve, an improvement on Juan Bissaka this season. So at the moment, Juan Bissaka, I would say, is the weakest fullback, which is remarkable given his price tag and the time he's been at the club. I hope he can turn that around, but the signs aren't looking great uh, there for him. But as I say, I would love to see him turn that around because when he came to the club, he was a signing I actually quite liked because he was very strong defensively. And I thought that's what United needed first and foremost before um, you had another fullback that could bomb forward. So I hope that he can, he can somehow re- regain some form and, and improve and become the player that maybe we hoped he would be a couple of years ago when he arrived. But, yeah, 
for sure. Shaw for me is the strongest fullback, and then I would say probably remarkably Tellez and Shaw. You'd say maybe are the strongest too, but typically United playing the same side. Yeah, um, Tellez is a bit like Dallo for me. He's he's weak defensively, and he's a bit hit and miss going forward. Um, so it's definitely something we need to look at. I think the new manager here will be will probably stick with Luke Shaw on the right hand side. He might look to bring someone in, and I think it's completely turned around now. I think Dallo looked to be the one that was likely to go, um, but I think next season he'll either be the starter or the backup right back. Whereas I think Wambasaka could be the one that could, could could leave the club in the summer. I wouldn't be too surprised to see that now. Um, they'll certainly not get the fifty million pound back that they paid Chris Paulus. Um. Could you see Juan Bissaka leaving the club in the summer? I think the conundrum for United will be where he could go because obviously I don't know the ins and outs, but I'd assume he was on a, a decent financial package, obviously, considering he joined from a, a Premier League rival. I mean, Roy Keane probably summed it up best when he said, I don't even think Palace would take him back on the form he's shown this season. So I think that just sums up the problem United are going to have if they try and move him on on in the summer if he was to move on I think it would have to be a loan deal um, I don't see anyone splashing 50 million quid on him you might be able to convince someone to pay 25 or 30 but then the powers that be at the club will think do we want to take a, a 20 million pound loss on him um, or do we want to maybe give him a year out loan and hopefully get the full value the following summer or he can come back and be of use to United so I wouldn't be surprised if United try and loan him out abroad maybe to a Bundesliga club again sheer speculation in my part um, I've obviously put Twan Zebi out to Napoli, so I'm just trying to think um, of an option that United might look at, and I think going abroad could be a, a good option um, for Juan Bissaka and for United, because it takes him out of the spotlight in the Premier League week in, week out, and it would give him a, a, a new experience abroad where hopefully he could regain his confidence in some form, but it's, it's certainly a conundrum for United, and it's not a good conundrum, I mean, Normally, I, I look at Man City, the conundrum Pep Guardiola's got is which 11 players make his best start 11 because he's got so many uh, quality players in depth, whereas United's conundrums are all negative, unfortunately, at the moment um, when it comes to systems or players starting or whatever it may be. So it's another conundrum that I don't know how they solve. But I, as I say, if I was to put my specula- speculating head on, then I would say I, th- I think you would go abroad for a season rather than out with in the Premier League, because I don't see too many takers for him. Um, again, look at, I'm just thinking on the feet here, look at a team like Aston Villa, they've got Matty Cash. I don't think Villa would be wanting Juan Bissaka. Um, and it's all well and good saying that a club that gets promoted or whatever could take him, but again, you've got to think of Juan Bissaka himself. Is that what he wants to go and drop down to? Um, probably not. So as I say, I think abroad might be the most... The, the most realistic option for all parties that they would be willing to accept. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. He'll have to go to a team that probably plays more defensively. That that might suit him because a manager who likes his fullbacks, you know, to bomb on, get forward, he's not going to suit that type of football. So he will have to look to. to a more defensive coach, probably wherever Mourinho is um, come the summer, he might want to bring him in. Who knows? Um, you touched on the formation earlier. He switched, uh, it seems, from the 4 triple 2 to the 4-3-3, which I'm no pleased about. I don't think we have the players to play that. 
four triple two and, and gig and pressing. Um, I think the squad we have is more suited to four three three. Um, one not that I dislike Mason Greenwood as a player. Uh, I, I really like him. Um, but I don't think his strongest position is out on that right hand side. I would prefer more of a traditional winger out there, like Jaden Sancho. Um, so how do you feel about? It? Would you prefer a front three of Alanga, Ronaldo, and Sancho, or would you would you prefer to, to stick with uh, Greenwood, Ronaldo, and Alanga? Again, I mentioned the conundrum word. I think it's another conundrum for for Ralph Ranić. I think Jaden Sancho, of course, is more of a traditional winger. Um, however, his form at United, is, as we all know, hasn't been up to scratch yet, but he's getting up to speed with the English game. Just because he's English, people forget that he had never played in the Premier League before joining United. Um, and obviously at the moment, we know he's, he's having uh, a few personal issues with his family, which hopefully um, United, I'm sure, obviously will be supporting him with that and his teammates. And, and hopefully um, he can he can get back to training and and be ready to contribute again very soon. Um, I think Greenwood, obviously, in my opinion, offers far more of a goal threat, but at the same time, is he able to potentially provide the sort of end product that Sancho can in terms of crosses, etc.? Probably not. So if you've got a Sancho on form, then I would put him in the team. But I think because his form has been so topsy-turvy this season that he might be tempted to stick with Greenwood because... Greenwood's the sort of player that can produce a goal out of nothing uh, more than Sancho's shown at the moment. So I think that might just get him the nod. But of course, I want to see Jaden Sancho succeed at Manchester United. And to do that, he needs game time. So I think that's something that will come into the manager's head as well. Um, the only thing with Sancho that does worry me, and again, Phil and I have talked about it in recent weeks, is his lack of pace. He doesn't have what you would call electric pace for a winger. Um, you look at Liverpool playing with someone like Sadio Mane, I'm not comparing like for like, but as a player, Manny can really hurt teams in behind. Whereas, in my opinion, you don't get that with Sancho. He wants to face people up, take them on and get crosses into the box. Um, and again, if, if United are going to commit to sort of guiding and pressing under Ranić or the next coach or whatever it may be, then does Sancho realistically fit into that system? Not too sure. Um, and that's something, again, that United have to consider. When Oli inherited the job from, from Jose Mourinho, it was a mishmash of players. There was a few David Moyes players there. Then there was a few, uh, there was obviously a fair few Van Hal players, a fair few Mourinho players. Now you look at Ranić, he's still got a couple of Moyes, still got a few Van Hal, uh, still got a few Mourinho, and, and, and obviously basically the rest of all his teams. So um, it's, it's another situation where rather than having players for a specific system like Geigen Press and a counter attack in football, United just have a mishmash and, and I think Ranić's job over these next two years, whether he's manager or he, he goes upstairs, is, is to try and wade through the mishmash and, and get a, a, a coherent style of football with personnel that are suited to it because it's, it's very easy to allow managers to go out and sign players that they want in their style, but the problem is when that manager inevitably leaves, whether they're sacked or they move on of their own accord, you need to be left with something coherent for someone to come in and pick up, which is something that United haven't had from manager to manager. I mean, Moyes was kind of wanting to play in the front foot, but maybe didn't have the players to do it um, in terms of arrivals. Van Hal, heavily possession-based. Mourinho, heavily defensive with a counter-attack and spin. Then Oli was Oli's success came from sheer counter-attack. 
um, I would say, but then at the same time, he tried to transition it this season into something else that's not quite worked. So I think the first thing United need to do is get a defence way of playing, get a coach who fits that system and build around it because they've tried going from one extreme to the other and it's not worked. So I think they need to try and have some joined up thinking in all aspects of the club and, and that's what I'd be looking to do next. Yeah, you're right. There is a mismatch of players in that squad. I mean, I think they've been signed by five or six different managers. Um, Eric Ten Hag is the favourite for the job. And if he gets it as expected, and him and Ralph need to work on, you know, who, who who's going to leave the club and who's going to come in and build a squad that, that fits, you know, Ten Hag's system and make sure we've got players there of the right mentality. But they have to be allowed to do this squad building and the problem is, there's too much. There's too much interference from Ed Woodward, constantly wanting to sign, you know, superstars like he's playing championship manager. You know, I'm not saying players that we need. Like, not that I'm complaining about bringing in Ronaldo, Ferran, and Sancho, but our, our number one, you know, need last summer was a holy midfielder. We didn't get that, and we're, we're suffering as a result. So, we need to sign the players we need, and and not always go after. You know the, the the biggest names we can possibly sign, um. Yeah, so I just hope that Ralph and Ertin Hag, assuming he gets a job, are allowed to, you know, build a squad that fits into the the, the system that the manager wants to play, and and he's allowed to get rid of the players that he feels doesn't fit in, um. But we we'll just have to wait and see uh, on that one, um. So what about Rashford and Cavani? Do you think bench roles are, are, are suited to them at the moment? Do you think uh, we should continue with starting the, the current front three, Alanga, Greenwood and Ronaldo, and, and bring Rashford and Cavani off the bench? Because they're definitely having an impact from the bench, as we saw yesterday. So would you like to continue with that? At the moment, I think it would maybe be sensible to continue with that for another week or two, because... Whenever Rashford's been given starts um, over the last couple of months, he's not really shown that he could perform to high level from the very start. So I think another week or two of him being on the bench, making these impacts and then unleashing him back into the starting eleven would probably um, be sensible. You would probably assume Alanga would drop out for Rashford to come back in, but potentially not because Ralph's talked about how much he's been impressed with Anthony Alanga. So it's definitely going to be a a fascinating one in that regard. Um, in terms of Cavani, I think if you're only playing one striker up front, he will be on the bench. I mean, um, I think dropping Cristiano Ronaldo creates the most incredible drama, as we all know. I mean, he, against uh, Brentford when he came off as a sub, I think most of the journalists and reporters in English football forgot United won that game that night. All the focus was on Ronaldo's drop and... I think that's something that Ranić has to manage delicately. Um, we've seen it this season whenever United have drawn or lost, that Ronaldo's the first down the tunnel without a buyer leave to to any of the fans and, and fellow teammates. So I think that's something that, as I say, has to be managed delicately because United cannot afford for it to become an absolute sideshow. I mean, Edward Ward and Richard Arnold have talked about loving numbers on social media. Ronaldo's numbers in social media are far bigger than United. So if you upset him and he's put, I'm not saying he would put a negative message out, but if he was appearing to be sulking or questioning people online on the level of platform that he's got, I think it's in excess of 625 million across all social media platforms, then that would cause them big trouble. So although they've brought in the superstar of all superstars, um, they have to really manage it carefully because it's a delicate situation. 
Um, Ronaldo yesterday got into good positions. Of course, the, the ball in for Bruno Fernandes in the first half, he probably should have scored and got on to the end of it with his head, um, but, but didn't quite get there. And he, he needs to be scoring goals because when he scores goals, he's happy and, and you don't have the conundrum. I, I, I keep mentioning that word of, of maybe having to take him off. But hopefully he understands it's for the good of the team because... A sideshow that we saw against Brentford is the last thing you want when you're turning the corner and showing positive momentum. I questioned on beyond the pitch a few weeks ago. I, I don't think he'll be there next season. And, and Phil, Phil took me on quite passionately and said, I, I think that's nonsense. You can't possibly see he's a problem. And I said to Phil, I said, I'm not saying he's a problem. I'm just saying if United are going to get behind Ralph Ranić on a two or three year basis, then he's going to want to build a team for the future uh, rather than relying on someone who'll be 38. Going at some point next season, um, not to say that he's not an exceptional footballer, but I, I do think um, that that question is going to arise quickly, and I would not be shocked to see him move on this summer. Yeah, it would be very disappointing for him just to come back for one year because you know, not to get all soppy and romantic, but Ronaldo is one of my childhood heroes, and it was always a dream of mine for him to come back to Man United, and for it to end on a sour note would be hugely disappointing. And um, you are right; he probably wouldn't fit in to like, even Pochettino, um, Ten Hag or Ralph's style of football uh, if they were allowed to impose the system and play the players that they need, then he probably doesn't fit into that. Although I suppose you could argue that he's very similar centre-forward to Harry Kane and Pochettino obviously favoured Kane um, even played him when he was injured in a, in a, when, he, when he was just back from injury in a Champions League final, perhaps he shouldn't have um, yeah, so if Pasatino comes in, there's probably a better chance of Ronaldo fitting into the system. But with with Ten Hag, it it it, it he might not. Um, and certainly he certainly doesn't fit in with the gig and pressing style of football that Ralph wants to implement. So it's it it would be disappointing to see him go. But um, as if he doesn't fit in, and and suppose it has to be done for the good of the team. Um. Yeah, if United don't finish in the Champions League spots, he might even leave on his own accord um, because it'd be a personal, a personal embarrassment to Ronaldo to be playing in the in the Europa League or even the Europa Conference League, wouldn't it? It would be, and, and as I say, the only reason I think he will leave, it's not me saying I want him to leave, I'm not saying that for one minute. But let's be honest, I mean, if you look at a player of that age, whether it's Ronaldo or whether it's someone else, or Ibrahimovic, probably one of the good examples who's playing at 40. Most players of that age are happy to maybe start two, miss one, or start one off the bench for two. As we've seen, Ronaldo is not going to accept that. He's not shy in making it clear that he's frustrated to be on the bench. He's not shy in making it clear that he doesn't want to come off. And I think that's always going to be the big the big challenge for United in terms of managing that situation delicately. Because for as great as Ronaldo has been, for as great as Lionel Messi has been, I think it is important to say that they are still absolutely exceptional footballers who every team in world football would want as part of their squad. But they aren't the footballers they were five years ago. They aren't the footballers they were 10 years ago now. I think Ronaldo's the best goal scorer United have, and I think you get him into your team at this moment in time. You absolutely do. You saw the chest against um, Brentford, which was crucial. Absolutely. However, if there is a certain game where you think it would be beneficial to put a Rashford or a Greenwood or whoever it may be through the middle, then as a manager, you, sh- you should be able to do that. And I think that's the 
the only thing I would say on it at the moment, Kyle, is I feel that United are, are really, and Ralph are really having to work exceptionally hard to manage this situation delicately. And I think they will for the rest of the season. I think it'll be fine. But you've got to realise he's, he's going to be even a year older going into next season. And I want nothing more than to see him stay at United and win trophies with United and be the focal point for the team going forward. I mean, I, even though he is the age he is, you mentioned the childhood hero. He certainly was for, for myself as well. And and I want to see him succeed. I want to see him challenging for the big trophies with United. But I, I just, at the moment, I, I don't quite think United are going to realistically challenge for the league next season. I don't think um, they're going to be consistent enough to do that. The Champions League's a different ball game because it is a cup competition. And you just never know. I mean, look at Liverpool in 2005. Look at Chelsea under Di Matteo. You just don't know. And and maybe that can be the, the real defining glory of his return. But as I say, I, I just look at it and think, if United are going to give Ranić the power he wants, if Ranić wants to keep Ronaldo, then absolutely fantastic. However, where United's bluff will be called is if Ranić was to decide, look, when we build under Eric Ten Hag or whoever it is and they report to me, I want to be able to get rid of who I see fit. And if the club agree to that and then he mentions Ronaldo's name and the club disagree, then it could get very messy. So I just hope that it's given all chances to work, which I think it will be, but also that if there is a cold call that's made, then then it's accepted because, as I say, as great as Ronaldo is, um, if he was leaving Manchester United, I'm not saying that elite clubs wouldn't want him. I'm not saying that for one minute, but when you look at clubs across Europe, where could he realistically go? Paris Saint-Germain maybe comes to mind, maybe one of the Milan clubs. Um, if Real Madrid are signing Mbappe, I don't see them coming back in. Could you really imagine him at Barcelona, etc., etc.? So I think it'll be intriguing to see how that situation's handled by all parties, but you're spot on as well. If United finish outside the Champions League, I think he'll be telling United, cheerio, I'm off. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that happen all right, because there's no way... Uh, he wants to play in those competitions because he's a man that he, he loves to play in the Champions League. I think this season you could argue that he's played better in the Champions League for United than he has in the Premier League. Because just something about that competition just motivates him, gives him that extra motivation. Um, and it, and then the next round of the Champions League, we're playing against Atletico Madrid, uh, and he has scored I think three hat tricks against them, and he hit the side of them. So. Hopefully he can he can produce that again because we're going to need him to because you you you've talked about Dean Mateo at Chelsea and and Liverpool's unlikely win under Benitez you're making me dream there you know, thinking about that because because <laughs> <laughs> we're nowhere near the best team in Europe but who knows what could happen you know because the best team in paper don't always win that competition so if we can get a bit of luck with the draw and maybe get things go away you know with VAR decisions like we saw in Paris a couple of seasons ago. Um, who knows what could happen? Um, okay, I'll do some player ratings now. Um, any of these you disagree with, you let me know. So, the guy I'll go with the six because he, he, he didn't have much to do. Um, Dallo, similarly, I would go with the six. Varane would be a seven, Maguire, a seven. Um, Tellez, I go with the five. Um, Fred, uh, six. McTominay, six. Um, Fernandez a six, um, uh, Alanga probably a five. I know it's, it sounds harsh considering how well he's done recently, but probably wasn't his best game yesterday. Um, 
Ronaldo, yeah, wasn't he, he? He should have buried that header, like you said, from that great cross from the left from Bruno Fernandez. Um, didn't have a great game uh, yesterday either. So yeah, probably go with a five for Ronaldo to be honest. Um, Greenwood probably a five as well. And all the substitutes would all get sevens for me. Martial, Cavani. Um, and Rashford, they, they all had a huge impact. So I'll give them all three a seven. Um, the manager, um, I'd probably give him a six. My, my only complaint about the manager yesterday was that he didn't make the second substitution quick enough. He waited too long. But ultimately, we got the win. So it doesn't matter. So any of those you disagree with, Callum? I, I think they're, they're fair. I think you've been you've been fair on um, Teles, Alanga and Ronaldo in particular. I think you're right with the midfield. They would all have sixes in the sense that they were able to do a job. Um, maybe not quite the job to the standard you wanted them to, but they've done a job. And as you say, the substitutes deserve immense credit. So definitely agree with a seven for all of those. And I think, as I say, it's important to, to recognise Maguire as well as Varane because, as I say, I've been very critical of Maguire and I think it's only fair that when he does perform that he gets that recognition. So no, I would, I would agree with all of those. And in terms of David De Gea, I would maybe bump him up to a seven just because he, he broke Gary Bailey's goalkeeping uh, record, 162 clean sheets now um, for the club, which I think takes him to third on his own in the all-time list for the club. So um, other than other than that, out of sentiment, purely sentiment, um, sentimental reasons, then I, I would say I agree with them all. Yeah, I noticed that Gary Bailey had been tweeting about this quite a lot on Twitter and he'd been, he's been desperate to see you to get... You know, go above them in terms of the clean sheets at United, and finally it's happened. Um, so yeah, the kudos to the guy on that. Um, I'm sure he'll be targeting, you know, beating Peter Schmeichel's record as well uh, of uh, clean sheets, and no doubt he can he can do that because it seems like it didn't seem like seem like at this time last year, but it looks like the guy is going to be at the club for a very long time. He could end up in the end, the guy could end up having a nearly a twenty year career at United. It seems, um, so it's fantastic. <laughs> To see him turn around. He's he's been brilliant this season, and and, I, and I'm delighted to see him back to playing some of his best football because he is a player who's given United much. Um, he obviously has won the, the Premier League with the club under Sir Alex Ferguson um, in his last season. Um, he's obviously won other trophies with the football club, and for me, he's been a great servant to Manchester United the whole way through. The Madrid move didn't come off, as we all know, with the infamous fax machine, but he got his head down and arguably put in some of his best performances after that. He's won him player of the year, what seemed like every year. And I think, I, I feel for him, he's, he's been a, a great Manchester United player, arguably in the wrong era. His talent definitely deserves more Premier League titles. It deserves a Champions League trophy. And who knows, they, they still might come further down the line, but just delighted, as you say, to see him back to, to, to what is close to his best. Yeah, and I think the old Henderson to get a debate is over now. I noticed you... You don't really see that debate taking place in podcasts anymore. I think we've accepted now that Dean Henderson is probably going to be sold this summer. Would you agree? I would sell Dean Henderson now or in the summer. I think if United can get 30 million quid or 20, whatever it might be, I would cash in on him and use that money to reinvest it into the squad. Um, I'll be honest, Kyle, and say that even when Dean's been given opportunities, I've not seen anything that makes me go, wow, he needs to be the number one goalkeeper right here, right now. Um, you look at Chelsea when, when they had Kepa in goal, he was really shaky. Mendy comes in and right away you went, wow, he he's he really calmed that defence in front of him. He's shown qualities that Kepa simply doesn't have. He's their number one. 
I've not seen that from Dean when he's got his opportunities. For me, he's still prone to errors. Um, one amazing season or great season, you could say, at Sheffield United doesn't necessarily make you the Manchester United goalkeeper uh, for the next 10 years or the England goalkeeper. So I think he should leave the club. He should want to leave the club. I know a few people have criticised players like him wanting out, but I, I personally think guys like him and Lingard should want out because they should want to play football. I hate when players just sit and pick up a wage for nothing. Um, and, and for me, he is a good goalkeeper. Will he go on to be a great goalkeeper? I've got to be honest and say I'm not so sure. He reminds me a lot of Jordan Pickford. Uh, very confident in his own ability. Can produce exceptional performances, but similarly can make daft errors. As we've seen, I think Sheffield United against Liverpool, he let one score under him and, and he, he's capable of that every so often. As all goalkeepers are, you could say, but for me, uh, he's not he's not at the level to be a Manchester United number one goalkeeper from what I've seen so far, but Again, I would love him to prove me wrong, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think the gas ceiling is much higher than Henderson's. Uh, you can make a case for Henderson being number one when the gas is not in form, but the gas is performing at his best like he is now, and Henderson doesn't get anywhere near the team. And can, I don't blame him for wanting to leave. He wants to, he wants to be England's number one in, in Qatar uh, next this year. Um, so for that to happen, he's going to have to play regularly for a team. So, yeah, £30 million would be a fantastic deal for United. And uh, if, if a buyer comes in, then they have to accept that money because it's it's good money, like I say. And Lingard, it seems as if there's a real possibility now that he could go to Newcastle in this window, probably on loan because you not want to commit you know, five years to a club who could potentially still go down in the summer. Although I have a feeling that they won't now. Um, so... Yeah, he's not playing at United. I mean, I mean, even when he does play, he's coming on as an eighty-eight-minute substitute, like Donny van der Beek, which is you know it's shocking. Um, so Lingard, I think uh, it'd be the right call for him to to finish the season at Newcastle. I think. Uh, uh, would you agree? Yeah, Lingard has to leave the football club, and to be honest with you. Again, just like Donny van der Beek, why on earth was he not allowed to leave in the summer? I mean, United should have explained to him, look, you're not going to get many first-team opportunities here. You had a great half-season at West Ham. They want you. Let's agree a deal and, and shake hands and move on because he stayed at the club. He's barely played. He's angered people been posting pictures on his social media of him playing for West Ham, etc. So the whole situation has just been a waste of everyone's time. I think it's been a waste of a season for him. I think it's been a waste of wages for United because clearly his long-term future lies elsewhere and and, and ultimately I think you should United should be getting him out the door now. Um, I don't want to see him stay for the last six months because when players are in a situation... I mean, Jesse Lingard's probably going to sign the biggest contract of his career now because he's a free agent. He's, pro- he's on good money at United, but because there's no transfer fee, he'll probably command something between £150,000 and £200,000 at his next club. Whether you like that or not, that's just probably the reality because he's not, as I said, there's no transfer fee. So I really do think United should just come to terms and let him leave now because he, uh, if he knows he's not allowed to sign an official pre-contract with a club, another English club, is he going to be given his all for the last few months of the season? I mean, he'd be one leg break away from having no United contract and no contract from an English club because... If you're Newcastle and you're going to pay him two hundred grand a week and he breaks his leg in the second last game of the season, there's no way you're signing him out of sentiment. And I know people might say that's not fair, but that's just the way football is. There is no loyalty in football from players or clubs whenever it suits them. So 
if I'm United, I would get rid of him now, even if it's a, a small fee of around £10 million or five, whatever it may be, take the fee, get the wages off the wage bill and move on for, for all parties. Yeah, Newcastle seem confident of getting that deal done. Um, and they're one of the few clubs in the Premier League who could take on his wages that he's earned at, at United. And yeah, there's a lot of players at United we, we can't get rid of because cl- the clubs that want them can't afford their wages. Uh, Newcastle, obviously, totally different now. They can pay anyone whatever they want. So hopefully that deal gets done. Um, so we were talking about Dak and Rice earlier in the show and he was fantastic yesterday. He would be my man of the match, uh, a 9 out of 10 for me. Um, but another midfielder that United have been linked with is someone that you'd be very familiar with. Um, he played for Hibs and he uh, Saudi couldn't do a deal for him. The, um, and he ended up going to Aston Villa, who, who offered more money. Um, he's raised his game at, at Aston Villa. And now there's been lots of chat that Dorn Fletcher's a huge fan of him. Sir Alex is a huge fan of him and they want him to come to Old Trafford. And that's John McGinn. Um, obviously, you'll be familiar with him because he, play, he plays for Scotland as well. Do you think that he has the talent to play for Manchester United? Uh, what do you think? Um, some people think, yes, he's got the he's got the mentality to be a Manchester United player. He's he's a leader. He's a workhorse. Um, he's, a, he's got a fantastic left foot on him. Others would say, no, he's not. He's he's good, but he's not a great player. Um, he wouldn't take us to the next level. So where, where do you stand on it? Do you think he'd be a good sign for Manchester United? Just on John McGinn, um, his father taught me in school. So I've known uh, John's family actually for, for quite a few years. Obviously his brother Paul plays for Hibs um, as well. His brother Stephen played it for Watford down in England as well. So they're, they're a real sporting family. Um, so they are the McGinn's. And, 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 and I think John could step up to Manchester United. Look, you could say I'm slightly biased. I'm Scottish. I've watched him play for the national team. Um, but one thing you will always get from John McGinn is 100% effort, grit and determination. He's got technical quality as well. Um, he's good on the ball. He can score. He can assist. And the way I look at John McGinn is Andrew Robertson. If I told you, Kyle, three years ago, Liverpool are going to sign Andrew Robertson from Hull City, who had just been at Dundee United before Hull City, and he's going to go on to be one of the best fullbacks in world football and win the Champions League and the Premier League. You'd probably have fallen off your chair laughing and said, don't be so ridiculous. John McGinn's a player who I think will step up and play for one of the top six clubs in England. Whether it's United, it'll say, if it's not United, it'll be someone else. He's got the talent. Um, he's someone who definitely could, wouldn't be phased by playing for Manchester United. Now, that being said, as much as I do like him, would I be paying 60, 70 million for him? No, absolutely not. I think there's, there's better options out there if you're talking silly money. But if there's a reasonable price and a reasonable deal to be done, then I, I don't I don't really see why people would be offended by United signing someone like John McGinn. Um, I think it's very easy for people to be snobby when it comes to football and, and look at uh, players out there and say, oh, United should aim higher, United should do this, that, and next thing. United have done that at times, and it's not worked. Now, I'm not like Gary Neville, who seemed to suggest at one point, we've signed a few world-class players and it never works, you don't sign any others. I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is, United traditionally have always signed some of the best players in the Premier League to help take them on. Um, you think of Dwight York many years ago, you think of Andy Cole, um, you think of even Gary Pallister. Um, obviously Rio Ferdinand, Michael Carrick, 
the list is endless. United have got a history of always taking someone who's performing really strongly within the Premier League, just under that top four, top six, and, and helping elevate them onto another level. So I think McGinn could certainly step up, but I think there's other players in the Premier League that could step up as well. Um, I quite like Wilfred and Didi at Leicester. I've said that for a few years. Um, I think he's a player who could who could step up um, and, and play for, for one of the real top clubs um, as well. So there's, there's definitely options out there if United wish to explore them. Um, but as I say, in terms of John McGinn, again, people listening to this might say, oh, he's Scottish. Of course he's going to say that. But from what I've seen from John McGinn at Aston Villa and for Scotland, thrives on the big occasion and would definitely add something to Manchester United. As I say, though, being brutally honest, would I pay ridiculous money for him? No, I would not. But if there's a reasonable deal to be done, I'll repeat what I said. I think John McGinn would do well at Manchester United without question. Yeah, I love his mentality more than anything else. He really, we need leaders like that. We need people who are as motivated as what he is on the pitch. Um, an argument could be made that there's too much style and not enough substance at Manchester United at this moment in time, and he would certainly bring steel to the to the midfield. And and he's probably a better footballer than people give him credit for. So yeah, I'd be all on board on that one. Um, I think Pogba's going to leave, and Maddich would probably be leaving the summer. So if we replace those two with, you know, I'm being you know fanciful now, but let's just say hypothetically, if we replaced Madison Pogba with Dakin Rice and John McGinn, do you think that would be progress? Absolutely, it would be progress. I think undoubtedly it would be. I think Rice obviously offers you the anchor that you you badly need, and I think John McGinn um, gives you that sort of. Strength and determination to break through the lines. You're spot on with what you say. It's very easy to look at United and say, let's play a midfield three, as people used to mute of Van der Beek, Pogba, and Fernandez. Now, on a five aside pitch or a seven aside pitch, that might be the best midfield you've ever seen. However, in the cold, hard reality of the Premier League, when you've got teams uh, like Aston Villa, Everton, etc., coming to Old Trafford to frustrate you, you need more of a a core uh, and, and, and more of a steeliness to your team and that's what guys like McGinn and Rice would, would undoubtedly deliver if United could get both of those players Kyle I'd be over the moon I think Rice definitely solves a lot of the issues in the anchoring position and John McGinn's a far better player than some people down south give him credit for go back and watch the time, times when Villa played with, with Jack Grealish and it was a point somewhat Barry Ferguson made when I spoke to him last week on radio up here Um a lot of the times Grealish was getting singled out, but if you looked at the club clips, John McGinn had such a massive impact in so many of those clips, you know. And I think McGinn for me would come in and step in uh, to a top six club and make an impact straight away. I know Grealish is taking time to adapt to City, and you could argue that's because of the unique style they play. But I don't think McGinn would take long to adapt to any top six team. Honestly, I think he would go in and and grab the, the bull by the horns and continue the progression that he's shown in his career so far. You know, I think. He's been playing a lot of football since he was a young kid at St Mirren. Um, won the League Cup when he was very, very young here in Scotland. As I say, watched his progress through his career and international level. He's, he's one of our key players for Scotland. So, yeah, I think if you could get both of those players, Kyle, replacing Pogba and Matic, I would be absolutely delighted. And if McGinn comes in, it'll show us that Darren Fletcher is having an influence because... The, the commercial board would have no clue about John McGinn. Um, so it shows that Murto and Fletcher do have power if we're signing players like that, and that certainly would be good news. Um, I just want to ask you about a story that's 
was in Sport Bill a couple of days ago. Um, and here's some of the, the extracts from it. Uh, it is, uh, Ranyak is apparently very unhappy, um, especially with the lack of signings in January. And the reason isn't just economics. Um, according to Build, United are afraid to rebuild their squad around Ragnick's long-term plans of gagging pressing in case the next manager doesn't want to use those tactics. So there's a stalemate. Ragnick's role of the club still hasn't been properly defined, even though he now has a two-year contract. Similarly, he would like to appoint Ten Hag, who, who could work under him and use his tactics and squad or stay on as manager himself. But even that is disputed within the club. So it just seems to be the continued mess that we see uh, at Man United board level, even though Richard Arnold has been promising the earth that things are going to change and he's going to learn from Edward with some mistakes. The same things are happening. You know, players who should be gone, like Lingard, for example, are still there. You know, the players who want to leave, you know, like Dean Henderson be another example. There's still that bloated squad. It's still, it's still there when players who are not playing for any football uh, should be allowed to leave. It's not happening. And then we're seeing Ralph wanting to bring in a midfielder in January, and that's not happening because the board want to get people off the wage bill before they bring in anyone new. So the same old problems are still there, aren't they? They are. And in terms of Ralph Rand, I mean, full credit to Gab Marcotti. He called it as soon as United appointed them. You've got arguably one of the best sort of builders of clubs in Europe and United are probably the only club that would have put him in the dugout rather than bring him in and let him really take control of the football and policy and procedure and really try and ramp up the squad uh, long term. Now, obviously, the caveat to that is they said only six months in charge, then he'll get the chance to do that. But going by that report and build, it's classic United. It's... Um, it's uh, style over substance it's words over actions and if that's the case then I would not be surprised if Ranić was to put a lot of egg in their face and walk away this summer you know I think he knows that he's always wanted a chance to work at a club the size of United and the capacity that hopefully he'll be given the opportunity to do so and if he's not going to be given that opportunity then I really don't think he'll sit around and put his name to something that isn't his um, Eric Ten Hag to me would be a sensible appointment in the sense that you've got um, a manager in Ten Hag who's already working under guys like Mark Overmars and uh, Edwin van der Star, so who's used to having a big personality above him. He's used to having a, 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 a famous face above him, whereas Pochettino's struggling with Leonardo at Paris Saint-Germain, albeit I think anyone would struggle under Leonardo at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and some of the other names in the frame maybe would not be comfortable working under a manager like Ranić um, because they know that he's got the capabilities as a manager and if something was to go wrong, he'd be the very easy guy to parachute in and take it on. So I think Ten Hag would be a sensible appointment. Ranić shaping the philosophy of the club for the next two to three years would be the sensible thing to do. But Kyle, um, when was the last time United put together two or three sensible things in the one year um, on the one decade, never mind, never mind all in one go. So I don't hold my breath. And uh, Richard Arnold's talking a good game at the moment, but I need to see actions rather than words because for the last decade at Manchester United, I've seen too many sound bites, too many words, too many promises, and and barely anything delivered. Yeah, um, 
Ralph Rennick's meant to be a consultant uh, once he leaves his role as interim manager, but that's very vague, isn't it? His role hasn't been defined at all. What 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 is this consultancy going to do in Teal? Does that mean he's going to be another technical director, or are they just going to be getting advice off him part time? What what does that even mean? That's the thing. It's not defined. I mean, the the, the way I looked at it the other day was, it's like. They'll either listen to him and take his opinion on board, or it'll be like having a board meeting in a soundproof room, and he's been told he can have input, but he's outside the room screaming at the top of his voice. He's barely going to be heard if at all. And it's going to be one of two ways. They'll either remarkably prove to us that they are going to change direction and, and listen to him, or it could be a case of, these are the five players I recommend you sign who have got potential or fit the system, or whatever it may be. And United might just say, brilliant, thanks, and file them away in a draw and do what they always do and just, just sign a mishmash. So if they give him the authority and the power he needs, it could be good, it could be great, but it's all about actions over than words because until it's defined and until it's in practice, then it's going to be, it's going to be a, a strange, strange time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he'll walk if he doesn't have the authority that, he, that he's used to at the clubs like Leipzig. And Dio Schalke and Stuttgart. If he's not given the authority that he had there, he'll not put his name to this project. He, I can I can see him walking and, and embarrassing the board. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that, and and things will change, and they will take his advice on board, and and we are able to build a team in his name and you know get be successful again. But maybe I'm just a dreamer. <laughs> well, I, 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 it's good to be a dreamer, and it's good to have hope, and hopefully. Hopefully United can can delegate some of that much-needed football and power because at the end of the day, I would much rather get a football guy who knows what he's doing, trying his very best, than people that aren't football experts making decisions because, for me, that's the definition of madness. And if you don't change the way you do it, then it's only going to happen time and time and time again. Okay, Callum, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show again. As you say, any time. I always love talking United with you. And, and it's been good to be able to talk about a victory. I just hope that that United can build on this. They're, they're in the top four at this moment in time as we're speaking right now, um, although that is probably going to change over the next few days, obviously, with other teams having games in hand, etc. But I hope that it can be a springboard for consistency, that United can, at the very minimum, get in that top four and build from there because I hate the situation that is two seasons of going forward, one major step back, because it's unsustainable. And as good as the commercial acumen of United is, eventually you end up just becoming, I know you could see United prioritise being a brand already, but if you consistently fall outside the top four year on year on year and become an irrelevance on, a, on the part, you literally are only a brand. And the, the day United get to that, it would be a really sad, sad, sad state of affairs. You could argue it's verging on that at the moment. So get into the top four, Plug the gaps, appoint a competent manager, give the football and people the power they need and try and become a real football club again because it's it's, it's well overdue. I mean, it's a decade overdue. Let's get it done. Yeah, because we're in danger of turning into the New York Yankees and we, we certainly don't want that. Um, so hopefully next time I have you on, we've, we've just put Atletico out of the Champions League and we're into the quarterfinals. How about that? That would be fantastic, Kyle. And when we win the Champions League, I'll be back on the show with you having a few beers. Take care. Speak soon. Yeah, 100%. All right. See you later.